Good afternoon. Thank you for the privilege of getting to speak to you this lunchtime. I've been looking ahead to Christmas time and to the carols that we sing at this time of the year. And I'd love to take just one carol, and in fact, it's four opening lines as they draw together the implicit connecting threads of the passages we've had read to us earlier in this service and to use that as the backdrop to our thinking together. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. And it's one word specifically, a little word that we use more at Christmas time than at any other time of year that's drawn my attention. It's a little word with huge implications, the word peace. One of my earliest memories is of the exact opposite of peace. It's of me being jolted awake in the early hours of the morning by the explosion of shattering glass, the floor-to-ceiling windows of the bedroom that I shared with my sisters in our home in Tehran. It's the wailing sound in the backdrop, the sirens indicating yet another bomb raid. It's the immediate animated chaos, the immediate awakeness of a country that lost half a million civilians alongside its military personnel in what was considered then the bloodiest war the Middle East had seen in modern times. My family and I lived through the Iran-Iraq war in the capital city of Iran in Tehran. And to this day, if you like, that shattered glass remains for me the image or the symbol of our anxieties and our struggles and our battles. I wonder what image or what memory might capture that idea for you. None of us, least of those whose privilege it is to work in this beautiful palace, need to be told that we are living in turbulent times. Even just a cursory glance across the news tells us that we are not nations at peace around the world. And yet for myself, the more I travel and speak to people from all over the world, the more it seems to me that each of us, regardless of the global or the national backdrop, each of us as individuals in our own stories, seem to oscillate between two different personas. Us in what I call the pretense or the gains of power, no doubt in the relative influence, the relative affluence of this context, sometimes the, the show, the outward appearance of having it all together, believing that we can do it in our own strength, that we have the ability or the smarts or the know-how to win it through, relying on our own strength. And then us in the privacy and the pressure of our anxieties. We live oftentimes in what we call the private stress of this modern time, where one little niggle or another gets in, compounded by the fear of public failure, and we often carry those burdens alone. And I have begun to wonder to myself whether if we're really honest with ourselves, whether if we live our lives unfiltered despite all of the noise and the pretense to the contrary, whether it might actually be the case that intrinsic to being human is an incredible sense of powerlessness. We seem to be utterly powerless when it matters to us the most. Bereavement, sickness, loss, anxiety, depression, maybe 
children who've gone away from us in one way or another and we can't win them back. Intractable problems at the personal level and on the global scale. Powerless when it matters to us the most. Richard Dawkins, possibly one of the most famous atheists alive in the world today, some time ago now was debating John Lennox, the professor of mathematics at the University of Oxford. In the Museum of Natural History in Oxford, you can still see the debate online. And in that debate, I remember Professor Dawkins saying this incredible statement. He said the idea that God would come into this world and take on human flesh in order to pay for and to overcome the evil in the world, he thought that idea, and this is the quote, he said it was petty and small-minded, that it didn't do justice to the grandeur of the universe. I was both intrigued and staggered listening to him. Intrigued because it struck me that that wasn't far off what the followers of Jesus thought at the time. If you've ever read the gospel for yourselves, you'll know that there was this struggle, this tension, this confusion in the disciples about the trajectory of Jesus's life. The expectation that if Jesus really was God, there would be a different plot line, something of pomp and grandeur and ceremony, power and the typically narrow human readings which we often give it. I was intrigued. <laughs> and then I was staggered because 2,000 years on from these events, I found myself listening to Professor Dawkins and thinking to myself, is it really possible that he hasn't seen the size of the problem? Or is it that he simply hasn't understood what Jesus is claiming to have accomplished in his death and in his resurrection? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. We heard those words in a reading earlier, but they're words that we sing very often at Christmas time. They're taken from the words in the gospel of the announcement of the birth of Jesus. We so often sing them without a second thought, but on earth peace, what would that even look like? Is there anything that is harder or more elusive to achieve than peace? Some of you may be familiar with the International Day of Peace. Jeremy Gilley, one of the men at the forefront of the attempt to bring just one day of ceasefire and non-violence around the world, talks of the amazing journey of making that dream become a reality. How with just a handful of supporters and with almost no financial backing, Hundreds of conversations and communications came together to secure an invitation from Mr. Gilly at the United Nations General Assembly in New York, where the first ever ceasefire non-violence day was unanimously adopted by every head of state in the world. And an incredible result. And Kofi Annan invited Mr. Gilly to join him for the press conference to announce the venture. And here are Mr. Gilly's words. It was 8 a.m. when I stood there, and I was waiting for him to come down, and I knew that he was on his way. And obviously he never came down. The statement was never made. The world was never told that there was a day of global ceasefire and nonviolence. You know why not? 
because it was September 11, 2001, right there in the heart of New York. Is there anything that is harder or more elusive to achieve than peace? One of the privileges of my job is that I get to travel and speak to people from all over the world, people of different cultures and backdrops and contexts. I always find it so fascinating how people of different backgrounds approach the claims of Christ. Here in the West, we're a culture increasingly illiterate about the Christian faith. Many people, having never even read the New Testament for themselves, have discounted the claims of Christ on the assumption that a vague cultural awareness is as good as a thorough investigation. For myself, I'm constantly shocked by the Bible. It repeatedly causes you to re-examine your paradigms, and it was no different for the people who heard it first. In the Gospel of Matthew, one of the readings we had just a moment earlier, the announcement of the birth of Jesus is accompanied by the statement that the baby is to be called Jesus, in the Hebrew meaning, God saves. Well, so far, so good. The Jewish culture into which that announcement is made is expecting exactly that. They are an oppressed, hounded minority of a people surrounded by hostile, oppressive enemies. Every paradigm for their understanding of the promises of God up until that point is that God would come and rescue them from this hostility and from this oppression. So the announcement is made, you are to give him the name Jesus. God saves. Because he will save his people from, and everyone is expecting that sentence to end, from their enemies, from this hostile, occupying, oppressive force. That God is going to once and for all break the power of that oppressive force and bring the Jewish people away from their political plight into an era of freedom and prosperity. You are to give him the name Jesus. God saves. And against every expectation, instead these staggering words, because he will save his people from their sin. From their sin. We're in danger of being overly familiar with the story and very unfamiliar with the context because we've begun to read these words as a religious nicety, whereas to the people who heard it first, it was an unbelievable insult. And yet, if we probe our own responses 2,000 years on, if we think for a moment that this is anything other than a Christmas fairy tale and direct these words at ourselves, we might find that our responses aren't so different after all. We're a generation, we're a culture offended by the idea of guilt, that we might have done something actually wrong. Michael Ramson, who's the international director of an organization called RZIM, he speaks so profoundly about the victim culture, which um, defines so much of our sociology right now. And he writes this, the only thing we prefer to being right is being wronged because it justifies our sense of self-righteous anger. We might even resonate with a God who comes to save us from the mess out there, from our enemies, from the injustices, the corruptions, the backstabbing, the dysfunctions, the sheer incompetencies of others out there. 
but a God who comes to save us from ourselves. What would that look like? Visual props are not usually my thing. I hope you'll forgive a Christmas one. I wonder if we might think of this glass sphere as representing us at peace. We tend to think of peace as the absence of conflict, the absence of violence, maybe the presence of some form of stillness. The Bible envisages a lot more. Us as whole beings at peace, at one with ourselves, internally at rest. Us as beings in community, in good relationship, enjoying the depth and breadth of relationship with one another, at peace with one another. Us as beings within the created order, living in mutually sustaining harmony. Peace as wholeness, peace as deep wellness, peace as connectedness, peace as completeness. That's what the Hebrew word for peace, shalom, means completeness, wholeness, connectedness. And I wonder if we might imagine this thread which runs through the sphere and connects it together and is the thread by which it freely hangs, is the defining thread of our relationship with God and which sustains and gives life to the whole. And the message of the Bible in a nutshell is that we who were created in the peace, the shalom, sustained by that relationship with God, turned our backs on him and severed the connection and found ourselves free-falling to a shattered end, a myriad different scattered pieces. No way back. Is it possible that it is only in reconnecting with God that true peace might be found? But we are so disintegrated beyond our intended state, there is no even connecting thread by which that thread might hang anymore. We are powerless, truly powerless, to bridge the gap. Petty and small-minded it might seem to Richard Dawkins, but here's the claim, that God himself has bridged that gap in the person of Christ. Jesus Christ, God himself, came into this world and on the cross dealt with the root of our shatteredness, our moral brokenness, our moral shatteredness, and in so doing took up and bore and dealt with and overcame the brokenness, the shatteredness of our suffering and overcame it. And now he offers us, if we should want it, restored relationships. Shalom. Which is why the message version, as it speaks to and paraphrases the New Testament speaking of the God of peace, writes it like this. God who puts all things together and makes all things whole, may he now put you together by means of the sacrifice of Jesus the Messiah. All glory to Jesus forever and always. Oh yes, yes. Yes. I don't know what your story will be as you are sitting here. I have ended with the imagery of the shattered glass of our global order. I began with the shattered glass of my personal story. I don't know if all that you are holding is intact. 
But this Christmas time, the invitation of the gospel message is that we might draw near again to the God who is big enough to hold together that big story and kind enough, willing enough, gracious enough to meet us in our own. Let me end as I began. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconcile. This Christmas time, may you know the peace of being reconciled to God. We're going to have just a moment to respond now and then I'll close this address with a moment of prayer. It might be that you're sitting here and you've known the Lord Jesus for some time, but this Christmas time you desperately need to re-encounter that peace, that peace that is born of being reconciled with God. Or it might be that you're here and you're intrigued by the Christian message, but you'd like to explore some more. You have some questions. I know that Christians in Parliament will be running a group called Christianity Explored, an informal opportunity for you from January onwards to just come and meet and ask your questions and to talk together. Or it might be that you're here and as you've been listening, it's occurred to you that you have never known this peace and that you would like to. <coughs> the invitation to that reconciled relationship, it continues to stand. And I know for all of us, we will be wanting to be conduits of the peace of God in this world. So maybe I can pray for all of us. And if you'd like to, you might echo these words in your heart. Father, we come to you acknowledging that it is so easy to look outside of ourselves and to assume that the brokenness and the shatteredness of our world and of our lives is out there somewhere outside of ourselves. And yet we come to you and we repent and we say sorry. Sorry for the ways in which we have contributed to this brokenness, to this shatteredness. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being willing to step into our brokenness, for taking on the indignity, for taking on human form and baby form, to be willing to take our place and in so doing to overcome that brokenness. And we ask you, even this Christmas time, and all of the noise around this story of this little baby born, the Prince of Peace, please come into our lives again, wherever we might be on the journey towards you. Come and let yourself be known, Prince of Peace, and help us to play our part in being conduits of that peace in this world. In the name of Christ, amen.